Welcome to A Higher Branch, a source of practical and powerful information for busy people dedicated to boosting their personal health and professional performance. I'm your host, Sam McCall. Welcome to this week's episode of A Higher Branch. Well, what an incredible four months we've had. Uh, our lives have completely changed. And one of the biggest changes that has occurred is the way we work and earn a living. And for many years, you know, the standard job required us to travel to and from work, sit in front of a computer in an office and work from a minimum of nine to five. Uh, that just seems so outdated now, right? And that compromised the time we had to spend with family, friends. And, you know, uh, over the last few podcasts, you would all know that I've made the point that, uh, you know, COVID-19 has really brought us some significant opportunities. So today I want to take a deeper dive into the workplace, workplace wellness, and how COVID-19 has really presented us with some incredible opportunities for us to pivot and change the way we live and work. Now, most of you would know that I'm a workplace wellness advocate. And, you know, last year at the Workplace Wellness Summit, I was pretty controversial because I got up on stage almost prophetically and said that the best wellness program that companies can have is to allow people to spend more time at home. And because in our business, uh, really, there was a shift in our productivity, shift in our culture, and we went from fourth to number one in our industry because in 2015, we focused on giving people two things, more money, of course, which is what they want. And the only way to achieve that is through operational efficiency and automation. And that's out of scope for our discussion today. But number two is to give people more time at home. You know, it's no use having all these wellness programs and perks in the office. I mean, they're great, you know, having massage and fruit bowls and yoga and meditation. But if it means your people are spending longer hours at work, then that's a false economy because research shows that you need, you know, four to five hours wind down time to have a really good night's sleep. And sleep is the number one factor that determines cognitive performance the next day. So I, I wanted to just give this talk today that context because, you know, I really been uh, wondering how companies are going to return to normal because a lot of companies now are slowly beginning to resume inviting their staff back into the office. And we really need to get some expert guidance on how we do that, uh, how we change things. Are we going to return to the way things were, where we're robbing people of precious time at home? I know with my staff, they have an extra two hours in the day. And that two hours is absolutely invaluable. They're spending it working out. They're spending it uh, at, uh, cooking. They're spending it with time with family. So really, I'm fascinated to be presenting this podcast to you because I have a lot of these questions about how do we get back to normal, which is why I invited Rob Lyon from Lion Health, who is the founder of Lion Health, uh, onto our podcast today. Rob is a health and fitness expert who works with businesses. I know he's worked with big businesses, small businesses, and he's developed some amazing strategies uh, that focuses on improving employee health. Well, so today, Rob is here to share his thoughts, advice, on, and tips on how we can all prepare not only 
you know, our businesses, but also yourself, if you're an employee, on how to return to the office. So on that note, uh, Rob, a very warm welcome to the High Branch community. Thank you, Sam. Uh, really, uh, thank you so much for the, the introduction. I'm really excited to be here and talk to you today. Amazing. Now, uh, can you tell our community a little bit about yourself, just in about 30 to 60 seconds, because I really want to delve deep into uh, what you can actually teach us about uh, workplace wellness in this new era, uh, pandemic era. Sure thing. So I'm the director of Lion Health. Uh, we are a, a corporate health and wellness company. We also focus on two other aspects, which is one-on-one -on -one sort of fitness education, personal training, and also fitness education for um, uh, new graduates coming into the industry. But my big focus of my business is the corporate health and wellness. So working with uh, large and small businesses all over Sydney, um, which is where I'm based, uh, on aspects of improving corporate uh, culture and community um, looking at, you know, re re returns on investments on, you know, corporate wellness initiatives and programs and really trying to put some systems in place um, for the in individual, so the employee on an individual level rather than focusing on the company um, to really get them operating in their maximal efficiency. So that's been my business. I've been doing it for quite some time um, and I really enjoy it. It's obviously been a very uh, interesting last three or four months, you know, with a lot of corporate company contractions and uh, the, a massive shift straight away to work from home, which has forced me to think quite a lot differently about how I run my business, but also what can I do now to best serve this new concept, this new work from home concept, this new blended sort of, you know, in and out of the office concept that we're going to be looking at going into uh, going forward. So, yeah, that's my background. Awesome. So let's dive right in and talk about how the uh, how these restrictions and working from home and I know a lot of companies are still uh, advising their staff to work from home even though the restrictions have lifted but after the initial phase the excitement phase of working from home staying in your tracksuit uh, having more time on your hands to go outside and uh, now we, we saw you know, we saw a personal leave or sick leave, as it used to be known, uh, mm -hmm. decline. It's almost non-existent. Now, we have close to 300 staff. And, but how long will that last? And what do, what do you see the challenges that are starting to creep in as people get used to working from home? Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. there, uh, there are some people that are getting less physical exercise and their stress levels are increasing uh, because they're not, there's no distinction between you know well work and home and they're not changing their clothes they're staying in the same clothes they have poor nutritional habits so i know there's also so there's benefits but it's a double-edged sword right most definitely uh, yeah so what yeah. are the what are the things that we need to look out for and what are your tips for each one of those things? yeah most most definitely look what i've really um identified and isolated with if we look at, at an employee with this blended sort of work from home going back to work delivery there are four key concepts uh four areas that i think um, need attention from a, from from a company perspective. So, the first one which I want to talk about is the fact that the physical and mental health of your staff are declining. Okay, now you might have a small percentage that have taken this opportunity to actually go. Well, hey, I'm spending more time at home. I don't have a commute. That's an extra, you know, hour or two hours per day. I'm going to be able to use that time to go and exercise. Now, that sounds great it sounds a little utopian and actually a small percentage of your pop of your of your workforce will be doing that but the vast majority of your workforce have lost 
a bit of structure and a bit of routine around their health and their exercise, okay? So the concept of having work to break up your day and be able to go, okay, I'm gonna book in an exercise class before work, or I'm gonna go for a walk in the evening. Well, all of a sudden now I'm sitting on my computer doing emails till eight o'clock, where did my evening go? right? Yeah. So that's the first thing that we really need to address. The fact that the physical and the mental health of your staff have been declining over this period of time. Okay. So there are lots of strategies that we can put in place for that. I might go uh, into a little bit of those later on, but I might just look at these first four concepts um, here. The second one is, I think there's going to be a bit of a skills lag. So whether or not you're in a specialized sort of job or service-based industry, or even if you're in a commercial or even a technical-based injury, there's actually going to be a bit of a skills lag where some people actually physically haven't been working for eight to 10 to 12 weeks. So there's gonna be a lag in sort of staff might need a little bit of retraining. They might need a little bit of time and a little bit of leeway to get themselves back into the groove of productivity. So what is really interesting in the big dichotomy, dichotomy that I've seen, and I've, I've spoken to a few sort of managing principals in law firms and stuff at the moment, is that we're getting more hours out of our staff but we're actually getting a little bit of a less productivity because some people feel like they're not into a rhythm, a routine, a habit, a structure of specific tasks over and over again. And it's going to get worse and worse in other industries. So if you think about service-based industries, if you think about technical industries, um, people are going to be rusty, literally. So we're going to need yeah. a little bit of a lag in that. So there's a skills lag that's going to need to be addressed. The third one is the obvious pandemic itself creating the lack of financial security, okay? So some people have taken pay cuts. Some people have taken, you know, the whole 80%, like we don't have to take 20% of your hours, 20% of your pay away. And also some people, it's obviously been a lot worse. So the unemployment, the fact that maybe there's a lack of career progression now where companies are gonna be putting operations on hold, they're gonna be putting growth on hold, okay? What that's gonna to do to the staff on an individual level is gonna make them fearful and anxious. And what we're gonna yes, get with certainly. staff is we're gonna get reactive staff rather than proactive staff. So that feeds into the last point, which I think is probably the biggest point, is a lot of companies worked really hard, hopefully, to build a really good community and culture, okay? And a lot of that is still driven by face-to-face -face contact and interaction, okay? What are we gonna do as a company to address that lack or that, that, that decrease in, commu in community feeling in corporate culture uh, do our staff feel isolated based upon that? Okay, so those four areas, I think the lack of physical and mental health, the, uh, the, the skills lag and the rusty feeling of getting back into a flow and a rhythm, um, the financial hit with the unemployment, the lack of career prospects, and then the lack of community culture, I think the four areas that we really need to look at addressing um, from a sort of a corporate employee wellness perspective. Yeah, so is, is the fact that people are having uh, less sick leave as a result of fear of losing their job, or is it because they're actually healthier at home? <laughs> That's a really interesting question. Now, I mean, we have removed a few barriers. So again, if you're feeling 80%, 70%, you're like, well, I mean, am I really gonna get on the train, go 45, 60 minutes to work? This is probably a day I would take off, but I can sit at home and I can kind of keep, keep kind of tapping away. I can keep things going. That's gonna be great. Okay, that's gonna help. Another big, big thing that we need to look at, though, is the concept of it's okay 
to think about absenteeism as a, as, as a company in terms of how many sick days and we're reducing sick days and that's great, but we need to think about the productivity of our staff when they're actually at work. So, you know, the old catchphrase of absenteeism versus presenteeism, I think is very important. Um, you know, if you're paying X for a staff, but you're getting 70% of their output, what are some steps that we can do to address that? Because that can actually be just as costly financially as, as an employee or even more that's taking lots and lots of sick days. Right, so we want to address the concept of do we have our staff firing on all cylinders at home? And again, we're going to have some that are going to love it. We're going to have some that are going to take that 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 sort of extra leeway by not being face to face and not being in front of people to kind of cruise and coast a little bit as well. So I'm talking more from a business owner sort of a company perspective here, but we need to realise that there are going to be good aspects and there are also going to be some aspects that aren't as great. We need to make sure that we address both of those. Okay, let's look at it then from an employee uh, perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, can you give us some top lifestyle, you know, health, diet tips? Because you are an expert in those yeah. areas that people can adopt just from the moment they wake up to the, to the time they log on. Uh, to yeah, work. 100%. So first of all, the most important thing that we do is we create a sort of routine at home. Now, it's hard. I get it. I understand. I've got two kids under the age of five. I've had, you know, forced to do a lot of work from home myself as well. So it's really difficult when kids are climbing on you first thing in the morning when, you know, maybe you didn't get a great night's sleep and, and it's really easy to get stuck, you know, and then just go, okay, I'll make breakfast and then let's log on the computer. But nothing's really got happening nothing's really moved so what systems what structures can we put in place yeah. to be healthier first thing in the morning you know can we go out and get some sunlight and vitamin d early on you know that's i think that's a really important one can i get 30 to 45 minutes of just low intensity aerobic exercise even if i go out for a walk first thing in the morning you know those sorts of structures that you're going to put in place those sorts of systems are going to allow you to make healthier decisions for the rest of the day as well. So I'm a big believer in morning movement, morning exercise and morning sunlight exposure. I think those three things really set you up for success. Okay. So I even do a thing where I tell my clients that, you know, if, you, if there's sun out for the first couple of hours in the morning, don't put your sunglasses on. You know, I want vitamin D hitting your retina. I want, I want your body to be exposed. I want your circadian rhythms to kind of kick into place, your melatonin levels to drop. I want everything kind of up and moving and, and yourself switched on so to speak. So that's really important. And then setting the foundation of the day with, you know, a good quality breakfast that contains, you know, low GI carbohydrates so that you've got a steady source of energy throughout the day that contains protein and fiber to really help you feel full so that you're not moving back and forth from the kitchen 12 times a day and snacking, you know. So, so what's, what sort of food would fall under that category? Yeah. So look, if you are at home now, there's really no excuses to go, oh, I'm too busy to cook something, right? So I'm a big fan of, you know, omelets, scrambled eggs with maybe some avocado, maybe some green leafy vegetables, spinach, kale and whatnot, right? So that might be one option. Second option might be a really healthy breakfast with some sort of full fat Greek yogurt, maybe mixed with in, in with some like raw um, almonds, unsalted, or maybe some blueberries or chia seeds or something like that. So reaching for those types of breakfast as opposed to focusing more on your breakfast cereals and your toasts and your raisin bread, uh, your raisin toasts and your muffins and things like that are going to make sure that you're really fueling yourself properly for the rest of the day. So if we can start with a little bit of movement, a little bit of sunlight exposure, then a healthy breakfast, you're going to feel so much better. And those three things 
then become a system that we go, okay, this is something that I do every day. You know, I wake up Monday through Friday and these are the things that I do. So I think those things are really important. And how do people resist the temptation one hour in front of their laptop and they get the munchies and the fridge is just there? Because I tell you, that's the number one <laughs> challenge I've had working from home. Most definitely. And it doesn't look like I like my food, but I'm always in the fridge. I mean, I eat very healthy, but it's, uh, it, just, uh, it just interrupts your flow. It takes you out of uh, that state of flow. Yeah, most definitely. And um, so that can actually, you can look at that two ways. So the first thing you can look at is making sure that you're, you know, spending short periods of time on a task. I'm a big fan of like the Pomodoro technique where it's like, you know, 25 minutes of working solely on one task and then take a five minute break and then do that again. Now it's hard with that five minute break not to go to the, uh, to, to, to the fridge. But usually when I find when people are spending long periods of time on the same sort of task, yeah yep. then they start to get bored and they start to get flat and they get a little bit fatigued and then all of a sudden they're checking their phone and then all of a sudden they go well what's in the fridge right so if we can set ourselves a few more efficient work practices that's going to make a better difference in terms of resisting temptations and then the second one is the one that i tell everybody and it's been the same since the start of you know the dawn of time is if it isn't in your fridge or if it isn't in your pantry you won't eat it you know, so one of my favorite things I like to ask my clients and my corporate groups, I'd say to them, do you know where all of the chocolate is contained in your house? So if I asked you that right now, Sam, you'd go, yep, I've got a block of lint in the pantry and I've got some over here and I've got some hot chocolate over there. You know exactly where it is, right? Absolutely. So, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, <laughs> so it's as simple as removing those temptations. And then like I talked about before, if you're setting yourself up for success with a high protein like low GI carbohydrate breakfast, then you, you're actually going to feel full and that's actually going to keep you satiated for a, for a few hours. If you start the day with cereal or toast or that, you know, that, that simple carbohydrate, that rocket fuel, then all of a sudden two hours later, you're going to be hungry again. And that's when you start to make some bad choices. Yeah. I, I like that. The, the Pomodoro technique, did you call it? Or yeah, yeah. I think I, I read about it also in Jim Quick's book, mm -hmm. Limitless. It, mm -hmm. He talks about that. So uh, it's obviously a common technique that's well known, is it? Or? Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. And it's something that I, I try and use myself. And, and, you, and you can should be able to feel it naturally. I guess it does for me anyway, is that as soon as I start to stretch myself a long period of time into a task, it could be 45, 60, 90 minutes, I just get fatigued from that task. Okay. Now I'm not a proponent of task switching all the time, as in like have six or seven tasks and try and do them all at once. Tell us a little bit about that because that's, uh, there's no such thing as anyone that can multitask, right? Exactly. Uh, exactly. I heard about this. Uh, I, I listened to a podcast on, uh, on this very topic. I think it was um, maybe Cal Newport. Yeah. Cal Newport, mm -hmm. who, talks, who talks about... Deep work, um, yes, correct. Deep work, yeah. yeah. So there's no such thing as uh, effective task uh, switching. And then I want to go back to the Pomodoro. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. So, I mean, from, from how I approach that, that, that concept is every time you switch yourself to a new task then you have to refocus yourself on that task. And that always takes time. And that takes what I call CPU, right? So if you've got 100 computer points in your brain, CPU points in your brain, and you're switching yeah. to that, well, you've just taken 25 over there. And now you're going to have to try and take 25 of those back onto your original task when you want to switch back. 
So what I would what I would do is I'm big on single tasking, but I'm also big on using that Pomodoro technique. So what I'll do is I'll work on one task for 90 minutes, but I'll do 25 minutes on five minutes off, but then I'll go back to that task again. Maybe in that five minutes I've had an insight, I've thought about a different way to approach it. I've had a little burst of productivity, that's great. You know, um, I'm a big one with uh, getting up and moving. So if I've been on my computer for a long period of time, you've got to get up, you've got to walk around. So I'll stay on the same task, but I'll, but I'll kind of break it up a little bit. Um, and then I'll move on to a next task when I feel like I've, that I've done enough on that one. Beautiful, beautiful. Because the body uh, tells you, doesn't it? Because I um, uh, advocate every 30 minutes in the office, getting up, getting a glass of water, going to the bathroom, uh, whatever it is, I tell my staff to keep moving. And I, I notice my body, you know, pushes me every 30 minutes. Hey, get up. You know, this is not natural. I don't want to sit. So you start to fidget. Your mind starts to wander. And that's your cue to get up, move. So movement is a lot better than um, than reaching for the fridge every time because that five minutes can turn into 15 minutes in front of YouTube. That's and, exactly uh, right. Yeah. And then yeah, again, like, so, like, you, like you brought up YouTube and then, well, then, then your task focus has gone somewhere else and now you've got to recenter yourself and bring yourself back to the original task, which again is taking up more time, taking out, out your efficiency and your productivity there as well. Absolutely. So let's talk about fear of unemployment. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's that's waning a little bit now as things get back to normal. Mm-hmm. But there are still a lot of people who are scared to lose their job how uh, how can they neutralize that fear or overcome mm-hmm. that fear? Do you, do you have any comments on that? Yeah, or most is definitely. Is that something that you've come across with a lot of the companies that you work for? Definitely. Where I think it started, first of all, is obviously when the pandemic hit and a lot of people were really uh, thrust upon a lot of time on their hands is people pushed themselves into two camps. And this is something that I got from um, Robert Greene in the 48 Laws of Power. Um, people looked at it as the concept of a lifetime versus dead time. Okay, so quite a few staff and employees go, okay, this COVID pandemic, there's nothing I can do about it, that's fine, but I'm, this is just dead time for me. So I'm just going to skate by, I'm going to do the bare minimum, I'm not going to be really motivated to work, I'm just going to take what comes my way, and I'm just going to try and survive that survival instinct. Where a lot of other people took it as a lifetime. So a lifetime to me was, what can I do now to grow, my, to, to, to grow my business? How can I pivot? How can I show more value to my workplace or to my staff? How can I upskill um, my own education or my own, you know, taking up small business courses or whatever? So I think that concept, first of all, is really important, is, is how people have spent this time. Because the people that have spent it as dead time trying to get by, do the bare minimum, when they return back to work, they're going to really feel like they're like on the back foot and they're behind the eight ball and they're yeah. the type of and, and yep. they're the type of people and the type of employees are going to be very reactive where they'll be like what am i going to do to hold on to my job you know I, I god i hope i don't get fired god i hope you know this or this isn't going to happen whereas those other people that have taken that concept of a lifetime are going to be a lot more proactive with their work they're going to be thinking about how can i now show more value to the company you know, how can I be more of, of service or more of help? What systems can I put in place to become more productive? So I think that that mindset shift needs to happen if you're going to be an effective employee. And also as an employer, you're going to need to uh, try and cultivate that in your staff. Um, and you should be able to feel it. You should be able to understand, you know, what staff members are coming back very fearful, very very uncertain, uh, you know, I don't know what's going to happen to my job. I'm worried about what's going to happen in three to six months' time. And they're all valid concerns. But 
at the same time, you've got to realise what is in and out of your sphere of control. And there's a lot of things that have been pushed out of our sphere of control. And then what we can do to control is our attitudes and our ability to be proactive and, and those sorts of steps that we can take going forward. So, you know, having that concept of, of, of a lifetime versus dead time, I think is important to understand. Yeah, I love that. And I love how you said it's an opportunity. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of businesses see it as an opportunity to go on the front foot. Mm -hmm. uh, but a lot of staff as well should see it as an opportunity to really shine and show that they can pivot, to show that they can work under any circumstance, mm -hmm. uh, uh, under uh, any adversity. So if anyone that's listening at the moment in business, you know, look at the examples of how, look at, say, tourism or, or hospitality, you know, how restaurants pivoted. And uh, now that the restrictions are lifted, those ones that pivoted and provided, you know, um, uh, boxes, uh, food boxes and delivery service, you know, they're, they're being supported by their patrons. But likewise, if you're an employee, you know, you're going to be supported by your employer if you use this time to show that, you know, you can perform at your best in any, any conditions. And this isn't the time to just slack and off, drop off and say, well, this is my excuse, mm -hmm. you know, because of this COVID-19. And there's a lot of that and have used COVID-19 as an excuse for very poor service, yep. extremely poor. And it's like unexplained. Mm. Not going to mention who they are, but they're telcos. <laughs> what's, what's really interesting, Sam, is that the, the, the parallels in the fitness industry are very much the same. Um, we've had a lot of uh, people in this industry because, you know, a fitness industry that thrives on face-to-face, one-on-one interaction, uh, that, that evaporated literally overnight. You know, yes. I had, I had uh, seminars booked at corporate clients the literal next week. You know, I had all these group training sessions going and then, I, went, I came home on a Friday and by Monday I wasn't, I wasn't working basically. So yes. that evaporated overnight. Now, a lot of fitness professionals left the industry because they go, okay, that's it. We're done. There's nothing else to do. Fitness industry is all face-to-face. -face. What the good people did is they pivoted. They go, okay, how can I offer online sessions? How can I still work on creating my community? What can I do to hold on to my, 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 my current client base and how can I serve them differently so that they can thrive in this time? So the fitness industry is a perfect example, just like hospitality and restaurants got hit really hard, but the businesses that really survived are the ones that thought outside the box and pivoted away into different types of training. And now with gyms opening up, I feel we're going to see a massive spike and a massive bump again because people are going to want to be coming back. They're going to want that community and that culture that I explained before. And the businesses that have stuck through that and maintained or even built uh, their, their, their culture and their community, they're the ones that are really going to profit and see, you know, so see great results. So let's talk about culture and community then, because one of the difficult things to control is your culture. When you're all in the office, it's a cohesive culture. You can see everyone, you can feel the energy. But when everyone's dispersed in their own homes, how, what strategies can business use to pull that culture together and to maintain it? Mm -hmm. That's a really difficult question because a lot of this has been unprecedented. So a lot of businesses have probably been very guilty of not thinking about this enough. And, you know, look, it's kind of understandable. This is something that nobody saw coming. Um, you know, it's like you said, Sam, it's very easy to create a community and culture when you're seeing people face to face. But now that it's 
Zoom meeting after Zoom meeting, people have got their audio on, their video off, and they're not seeing each other face to face, it can be extremely difficult. So we need to think outside the box. Now, in terms of fitness, uh, in terms of corporate wellness programs and what we've offered and what I've offered is the opportunity to meet up together and move and sweat and exercise through like group training sessions. And as I mentioned before, I'm going to um, uh, jump off soon uh, after this podcast and actually run a group meditation session for a law firm. So those sorts of things, those sorts of community-inclusive things are great. Um, I like the concept of um, creating challenges and, and sort of group community tasks that people can do together. So I've created a lot of fitness adherence and sort of tasks where we've created groups uh, online and people are logging their workouts, they're logging what they're eating, they're kind of challenging each other, okay, the weekly challenge this week is to you know, walk six kilometres a day for seven days and people are checking in and we're using Strava and, and all these sorts of things. So from a fitness perspective, that's what we're doing. I think it's really difficult. Um, I'd actually be interested to hear your thoughts on this, Sam, on how you've managed to um, maintain the community and culture because, like I said, it's it's kind of a bit easier for me bringing in a fitness and wellness aspect because, because behind every fitness and wellness intervention is usually a community and culture aspect. But I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on this one as well. Well, what you just said is actually an integral part of our culture. Uh, one of the things that really unites us at MSA National, because uh, I have a law firm as well as a higher branch, is our commitment to care and well-being. And everyone in, in our organisation knows that they're cared for. And they know that because of the things that you just mentioned that you, you do. I mean, we have meditation coaches and, you know, we, uh, uh, we of course, give them more time at home, which we think is the best thing to do. Mm-hmm. But I, I love some of the uh, techniques. To be frank with you, during this COVID-19, we are only just starting to think about what we're going to do for our culture, which is why I was keen to have this conversation with you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, culture is about really having, it's like a family culture. You have these family rituals, right? Like the, the Sunday morning road, uh, the Sunday morning pancakes or, you know, the Friday evening uh, takeaway or, uh, you know, the, all these family rituals. So it's about having rituals. But I, I love what you mentioned about uh, forming groups and getting them to share uh, what they've done throughout the day. I think that really, for me, group training, group anything is motivating. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I love some of those strategies. So let's list those, just the elements of those. So you mentioned group training sessions. How yeah. do you, uh, how do you do that? So it's, you're doing it virtually now. You're not doing it in person. Yes, that's um, exactly right. Yeah. So so we're running we're running group um, uh, fitness sessions. You know, in mornings or lunch times or in the evenings, just depending on what each company wants and what the uptake is and and, and things like that. And that's great because everybody's together on Zoom. Um, I'm one of those guys that like, I like everyone to have their video on. I like everyone to, to hang around and chat for a little bit afterwards because it can still, if you know, like we've all had to pivot to Zoom, but Zoom can be very still impersonal and very isolating if it's just video off all the time and that sort of stuff. So I'm big on trying to keep people included with that. Okay. So we run group training sessions. We run group yoga sessions. Um, we do guided meditation and breath work, which I think is really great. And I've had a lot of really good feedback with that as well. Um, what I uh, am also always do with, with, with my clientele is I do individual health consultations and assessments on about an eight to 10 week basis with pretty much every staff in the company. And so I'm still doing those remotely. So I'm still checking in with my with, with everybody via email. I've got systems in place where I see what everybody's been up to. We've got dashboards where people upload everything that they're doing. And so 
everything there that we're trying to do is to create a group vibe. And, you know, I think most companies can be guilty of not thinking about culture and community for the first couple of months within COVID because we're all thinking about how do I cover my bills? How do I, how do I, you know, pivot or how do I hold on to my staff? But right now the clock is ticking on this. You know, if you are starting to bring people back into a workplace and it feels just the same in terms of isolation of being working at home, we're not going to get anywhere, you know? So, so, so I'd, I'd be very big on as soon as restrictions lift and we're able to do this is, you know, half day retreats and, and, and sort of, big corporate group sort of sort of like activity days and wellness days and, 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 and those sorts of things and get people in together and get people communicating and get people laughing and sharing and, 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 and sweating and moving and doing all that together. I mean, it's, it's a really difficult thing as human beings. We just, we crave the physical contact as much as we love being at home. We still crave physical contact. And, um, and I think that's something that we need to take care of and think about uh, everybody needs to think about going forward. So why is why are these things important for uh, productivity at work? Because ultimately, business is about profit. So, mm -hmm. and most companies they will have wellness programs or offer these sort of um, uh, you know group training sessions, meditation, what have you. They want to pay back, right? Mm -hmm. Let's let's be honest, right? Uh, obviously, there's an element of care. People uh, in HR care for the staff, and you want everyone to be well. But business is about profit. So how, how are these things that people do, uh, is it done outside of work hours? Is it done within work hours at lunchtime? And, um, yeah, how does it boost yeah. productivity? Yeah. Most definitely. Well, look, um, first of all, that's the first thing that everybody asks whenever I speak to corporate companies about putting um, together wellness programs. The first thing I talk about is ROI, right? So we want to know what the return on investment is. And it can be tricky to measure because a lot of it can be subjective, okay? There are a few objective measures which I will run through, um, but a lot of it is, is, is subjective. But if you've got a workforce that is happier, smiling, you know, and more productive, more, more like effective and more tight-knit, that can only be seen as a positive. But I want to touch on here going back to the concept of absenteeism versus presenteeism. So absenteeism is... Okay, you know, absenteeism is something that it's structured into work contracts, certain amount of sick days per year, mental health days, that's okay. We can budget for that. We can understand that. What we can't budget for and what we can't account for is presenteeism. Okay, so presenteeism, the simple definition for me is you're there, but you're not really there if that makes sense, right? So yeah, again, absolutely. If, if, I've got, if I've got a staff and I'm paying, if I've got employees paying $100,000 a year and I'm getting 70% of that, I'm losing a lot of money. You know what I mean? Yep. So... A few, a, a few stats, this has been measured before. There's, there's been a few studies, nothing really in the past four to five years, which is a bit disappointing. I'd love to see some new numbers on this and I'd love to see some numbers post-COVID about some of this. But for example, healthy, active, engaged employees within a workplace, the average days that they take sick leave is about one-sixth or one-seventh, okay? So straight away, you're getting a better return there. So I think it's something like the average person will take 14 sick days per, per year, whereas someone who's healthy and fit and engaged and active is going to take about two, okay? The other one is they've measured in a study, they measured the effective work hours per week. Now, effective, again, is very subjective, but you're looking at a two- to three-fold increase 
in these effective work hours per week. And that's measured by productivity metrics, okay? So straight away, this is, they, these are the things that are really important to understand. Um, there was a Harvard study done about seven or eight years ago, and they looked at the actual dollar cost return on investment. And they found that in America, which we can kind of extrapolate over here, it's about $3.50 to $5.50 of for every dollar spent of return on investment in terms of decreased medical care costs, reduced absenteeism. So they're some of the hard numbers, but again, the subjective numbers about presenteeism is that's the most important thing, okay? We don't want staff who are lazy, who are unmotivated. We don't want as a staff member to be lazy and unmotivated because that feeds back into the cycle, yeah? So they're the things that you need to track, right? And presenteeism can be a difficult thing to do, but we need to make sure that we understand it and, and have some sort of metrics in place that we can see if, if what we're doing is making a difference. Okay, so a lot of these strategies, are they implemented within the workplace or outside of the workplace? Uh, like when you hold your uh, sessions, is it after hours? Yeah, so, so, so yeah, so look, predominantly I don't wanna be taking too many people out of the office at certain periods of time. And we have to understand, for example, if you're going out, to the park in the domain at lunchtime to run a session, by the time you get there and you exercise and you come back, well, that might be an hour and a half out of, out of your day, yeah? So we do a yes. lot of before and after work stuff. Um, again, bookending the day is really important and I'm a huge, huge proponent of early morning workouts. So lots of, you know, 7 a.m. fitness sessions, boxing sessions and things like that. that might okay, run yeah, I love that, yep. Yeah, might yep. run for 45 minutes. So seven to 7.45, boom, they're already in the city, they've missed traffic. They're at work, they're showered, 8.30, ready to rock and roll. Um, a lot of the employee uh, health consultations that I do, I'll uh, come into a company and I'll sit down with each individual person for about 20 minutes. So they'll book in with me for 20 minutes. We'll go through body composition testing. We'll go through a few lifestyle design. We'll do a detailed goal setting session. And I set them two to three sort of health and fitness and wellness goals to work on for the next eight weeks. And then I, we're in touch via email and then I'll come back in eight weeks time We'll retest, we'll check, and we'll see where we're going. So, you know, minimal, minimal sort of taking people in and out of workplaces, but at the same time, as much sort of contact as I can give them and as much sort of uh, a, a sort of being in front of their mind um, as possible, I think is important. So a lot of companies say, well, why is that the responsibility of the, of the employer to, um, to roll out these health programs for employees and... I, I do come across a lot of these sceptics and just say, well, look, that's their personal life. They want to get their shit together. They should do it in their own time. And, yep. and that's a valid argument, but it's also an argument that's uh, really becoming the minority and uh, you can't become the employer of choice if, <laughs> if you don't actually promote structured wellness um, strategies and programs like, like you offer. But yeah. uh, how do you overcome those... Um, those objective objections. Yeah, well, I think that the, the, the onus of burden is, is a very interesting question. And one of the first things that I tell people, I go, well, when you hire your staff, do you ask them about their health and fitness? You usually don't. All you care about is their, is their resume or their work performance or their experience or their fit within the company. So you might be hiring something that someone that may look good on paper, but again, they turn up and they're operating at 60, 70%. Why? Because they've got high blood pressure or they're 15 kilos overweight. And I mean, you know, we can't, we can't be discriminatory about, <laughs> about that sort of stuff, but we do have to understand, yeah. you know, if someone is a type two diabetic or has hypertension or is 15 kilos overweight or has got bad knees or a bad lower back or is a cigarette smoker, I mean, 
all these things are going to play into the, their, 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 their effectiveness as an employee and your performance as an employer. So that's why I think it's vitally important because, you know, obviously as we can't discriminate when it comes to hiring people, we need to make sure that we put structures in place so that our employees can be as healthy and effective and as happy as possible. I think also it comes down to almost like a, a like, a, like, like our, it's our civic duty because, I mean, they spend so much time in and around work. I mean, we're always hyper-connected now. The concept of work has blurred from answering emails first thing in the morning to answering emails last thing at night and waking up in the middle of the night and working on a, a work problem or an issue or a conflict that has arisen. So work is blurring into our, into our home life and our own life so much that it's, our, it's almost our right and our responsibility to take care of our employees physically and mentally as well. Absolutely. I really love what you said about the civic duty. A couple of years ago, I introduced this concept of responsible service of workload, RSW, like we have RSA in a responsible <laughs> service of alcohol. That's a really um, good one. I like that a lot, yeah. Yeah. And, um, but just going back to um, you know, uh, health versus intelligence, you made a very good point. And uh, from my experience as an entrepreneur, I've been in business since 1995. And I realized that uh, it's the most intelligent people are not the most successful in my organization. It was actually the most healthy and the most energetic. So you're right, health trumps intelligence. And so it is good business on people's health. And uh, it, it is also a civic duty. And yes, we should acknowledge that you know, it is the person's own responsibility to take care of their health. However, however, this is the big one for me, the clencher. And that is, if we're expecting staff, especially our leadership team, to be completely passionate and committed to their job, chances are they don't have much time to think about how they're going to structure their diet, exercise, bookending their day. And they need experts such as yourself, Rob, to, to come in and, and structure it for them. It's the same as, you know, uh, like if somebody gives you, you know, uh, something from Ikea and, you know, a diagram and that's all you have, it's going to take you ages. But if someone comes to show you, it gets done in a few minutes. Yep. And that's why I think it's not just a civic duty, but also really, really good business sense to help people structure their, uh, their health, uh, their lifestyle and health and, you know, what they do at home. So um, most, thank you for most, raising that, Rob. Yeah, most definitely. And I think it's that I go back to that systems-based approach. If I can put systems in place at a, at, at a company or from an, an individual level or at a larger level, that it's one less thing that they have to worry about or it's one less thing that they have to think about. And once you become a, a uh, somebody that it becomes a regular everyday part of your day, then it frees up time to work, to, to think about everything else. I don't want you, you know, uh, wasting your CPUs, as we spoke about before, on, oh, should I exercise or what should I eat? Should I eat this or should I eat that? It's like, you know, let's let's create a system and let's, that part of your body, uh, that part of your life is systemated and automated and then it allows you to free yourself up, free your headspace and free your mental clarity up to focus on your work or other tasks or your passions or other projects. So I think it's very important. Yeah, I love that. So what do you what do you see as the biggest challenge now facing uh, people in the workplace, um, working from home, especially? Is it uh, their physical, mental or emotional health? What do you think is the biggest challenge? 
it's they i'm sure that all three of them tie into each other um but i think starting with the mental approach is going to be a lot better by because that's going to feed into your physical approach if you're mentally not ready to commit to making lifestyle change or behavioral changes no matter how easy i try and make it or how easy i try and facilitate it for you it's still not going to happen because in the, the day it's still not going to be your idea you know, so that into that that whole internal locus of control and making it this is something I want to do. This is something I want to do for me. So I can facilitate it based upon your needs and based upon your wants. But at the end of the day, you need to be the person that wants to go ahead and do it. So until we get to that point, it can be very difficult to create lasting change. You know, the behavioural change model of you know people st get stuck in this. This, this contemplation stage of changing behaviours. They're thinking about it, oh, yeah, I'll do that. And my favourite one is, oh, I'll know what to eat as soon as I read one more book on nutrition, you know, or I'll just listen to one more podcast on starting a business and then I will start my business, you know, and they get stuck at that point there. And I'm where I parachute in, I parachute in when you're contemplating about making a change in your lifestyle and then within half an hour I've taken you from contemplation through the preparation stage and into the action stage where here is how we're going to action and here's how we're going to actually get you started. Here's how we're going to keep you consistent and here's how we're going to avoid relapses. I'm huge on behavioural change theory because you need to understand what stage of change every person is at on an individual level and then put strategies in place that are effective to move them through the next stages. So, yes, the onus is on the person as we, as we discussed before, it needs to come from them. They need to wake up and make that decision. Yep, this is something that I have to do. And sometimes, unfortunately, it can take a trigger factor or it can take a life event or it can take a wake-up call, so, so to speak. Sometimes you need those. But the other times you need someone to facilitate, explain the benefits and then set out a plan and go, it starts on Monday or it starts tomorrow. Yeah, change is either something that we initiate or it's thrust upon us. And I find that the biggest motivator for some people is where they hit rock bottom, either health, uh, you know, health scare, you know, blood test that comes back that says they're pre-diabetic or diabetic or, uh, or anxiety or depression, and then they're motivated for change. But the message is for everyone listening is to preempt that. You don't want to get to that other, you, know, you don't want to fall off the cliff and have to climb all the way up. It's a lot easier to stop, mm -hmm. you know, step back the other way and say, I need to go in a, into a different direction. Yeah, and another big thing here is don't spend your whole time searching for the perfect solution, okay? The, the, the perfect solution for you is the best solution that you can stick to. And that's something that I really, really explain with all of my clients and all of my groups. So don't waste your whole life searching for a perfect solution because it doesn't exist. The one that you enjoy, the one that you are compliant to, and the one that you can adhere, you can stick to, even if it's 80% effective, if you can do that long term, it's going to be much more effective than, you know, say a crash diet or say a, you know, a detox fad or something like that, you know, if we consistent. Yeah, absolutely. So, absolutely. so and, that, and that's really important. So compliance and consistency is really the key. And that has to start from, it has to be based upon what they need and what they want and what they enjoy doing as well. Absolutely. So aim for progress, not perfection, uh, because otherwise you'll just keep procrastinating. Exactly right. And, and that's why we do, I am very, um, even with 
what, what, what some of the corporate groups really appreciate that I do is that a lot of the times corporate wellness programs can be a one size fits all approach. Oh, you've got your group training sessions, you've got your yoga, but you just turn up and you turn up and you train and that's great, but there's no metrics behind are we, are we getting better? Are we improving? So where I parachute in by doing individual employee health consultations and working with people on a one-on-one basis and emailing them specifically on a one-on-one, now they feel like they've got that individualized approach within the company. And I think yeah. that's really important as well because they don't want to feel like they're just another cog in a machine, especially at companies that scale. So I, I work really hard on creating that individualized connection within these large companies in terms of improving people's health. I oh, love it. That's so awesome. Yeah. Uh, so Rob, where, where can people find you, by the way, before I forget? Yeah, um, no, no worries. Well, look, my, my website is LionHealth, lionhealth.com.au. Um, you'll see all of my corporate wellness services uh, on there, information about personal training and also about my fitness education services. So I'm big on mentoring other uh, fitness graduates who are coming into the industry. As I'm getting a little bit older, it's time to make sure that the next generation of people coming through are well-equipped, um, both physically and mentally and emotionally as well. I love your approach to systems and especially love your approach to behavioural change, which you recognised is really where lasting change uh, comes from. So um, this has been an eye-opener for me, uh, Rob. For us, it's all about behavioural change and and you've really laid it out really well. You've given us a taste of uh, some of your systems, which is... Uh, really uh, easy and simple to implement, but very powerful at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so thank you very much for appearing on our podcast. It's, uh, I can't believe an hour has gone already. So it's, <laughs> uh, it's been an interesting conversation. And uh, uh, yeah, we'd love to have you back in the future um, uh, if you're uh, good with that. Most definitely, Sam. No, thank you so much. Thanks for the opportunity to uh, appear on here. And um, I really enjoyed talking to you as well. And like I said, if there's anything I can do to help anybody else out there, just um, drop me a line and we can, and I can uh, have a chat, okay? Uh, thank you again for your time. And I look forward to chatting with you again and hopefully maybe getting into our office and uh, uh, doing something there. So, yeah, I'd love to um, host you one day in our office. Fantastic, Sam. Thank you, thank you so much and have a great day. Yeah, you too. Cheers, Bye. buddy. Thank you for tuning in. Now, if you want to stay up to date with all things Ohio Branch and with the latest information from our incredible faculty of members and contributors, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And if you'd like to watch things, then head on over to our YouTube channel by the same name, Ohio Branch, and subscribe to that also. And if you want to go onto our mail list where you will receive even more special premieres and some really special offerings, head on over to ahirebranch.com and sign up to our mail list where you will receive a free copy of my ebook guide to greatness but you will also be on the mail list to be the first to receive a copy of my next book the circle of conscious living which is due out later this year anyway thank you again for listening and i hope to be with you next time